I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author, doctor, and PhD, Dr. Richard Lane. We're going to be talking about his new book, Neuroscience of Enduring Change, Implications for Psychotherapy. Dr. Richard Lane presents new research that turns general psychotherapy on its head with the discovery that memory can be updated and transferred to maximize therapeutic benefits. This is done by changing up past emotional experiences that may have been problematic for a client and having new experiences that update and transform the old memories. Neuroscience of Enduring Change is founded on the premise that all major psychotherapy modalities producing enduring change do so by virtue of corrective emotional experiences that alter problematic memories through the process of reconsolidation. Dr. Lane is Professor of Psychiatry, Psychology, and Neuroscience at the University of Arizona. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lane. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation to join you. Yeah, well, that what I just presented in the intro is somewhat of a mouthful. And as I said before the, we went on the air, we need you to interpret this for us, for my audience. Uh, this is for not, I, I assume the book is not just for professionals, psychotherapists, et cetera, but it's for all of us who during these difficult times, many of us are in therapy, many of us are considering therapy. Uh, what mm-hmm. makes this neuroscience of enduring change different than say the other, as I said in the intro, like there, you know, the there's all kinds of therapies that one can, um, one can go to, right? Right. There are hundreds of different kinds of therapies and, um, evidence for quite a few of them that they actually work. Um, so what's new here, uh, are a couple things. First of all, um, when we're doing psychotherapy, we're dealing with the mind. And, you know, we're convinced that the organ of the mind is the brain. And uh, to the extent that we can have, a, a, you know, new advances in our understanding of how the brain works with regard to mental functions relevant to psychotherapy, it can inform how we do psychotherapy. The big... Um, Discovery really uh, was crystallized in the year 2000 when there was a very convincing study uh, in animals, actually, that demonstrated that memories are not fixed and permanent, but in fact um, can be changed, can be updated under the right circumstances. And... um, Basically, our our current thinking, our current understanding is that whenever we recall a memory or have a memory activated, that memory goes into what we call a labile state, a modifiable state, where that memory can be updated with new information that comes in while the memory is in that labile state. And so... um, what then happens is, is that the memory gets put back into long-term storage, but in an updated manner. <clears throat> what, we've, um, what we are highlighting is a growing understanding that not only can memory be updated, but that memory 
interacts with emotion in a very preferential way. We can't remember everything, but we need to remember what's important. And one of nature's ways of ensuring that is that when we have an experience that's associated with higher emotional arousal, that's more likely to be encoded in memory. And what this whole approach is about is how to take advantage of that for therapeutic purposes. So what we want to do in therapy is activate old problematic memories that are often associated with emotional pain. You activate them, you experience the emotional distress associated with those memories, but then you bring in new information, you have a corrective emotional experience, positive emotions when you expect to have negative ones, that can update the memory (laughs) and then the memory gets stored in that new way and that will affect how you function going forward. And this is another very important point. We think of memory as just a record of the past and it is that, but the reason we have memories is as a guide to the future. The idea is that... Um, there are different kinds of memory, um, but there's a particular kind of memory called, we'll call it schematic memory, where you have, um, when you grow up, you learn how relationships work in, um, in the family, with friends, at work. Or I think a, a simpler example is when you go to the restaurant, Uh, to any restaurant, you have a kind of generic idea of what the sequence of events is, right? You, you show up, the hostess greets you, you're brought to your table, you get the menu, you order, you know, on and on. Okay. There are certain basic elements and people automatically uh, create templates or schemas of how relationships work when they grow up. Um, it's not uncommon at all for people to have very bad experiences growing up, um, to have trauma, to have neglect. And as kids, we adapt to those circumstances. And those are schematic memories that are adaptive growing up, but then can be problematic as an adult, right? So if you grow up expecting to be criticized by people for things that you do, you're going to be inhibited. The idea would be that that is a kind of memory that that can then be recalled and activated in psychotherapy. And as you're interacting with the therapist, you might expect to be criticized again. But then when the therapist responds in a caring, empathic, compassionate way, non-judgmentally, that is a corrective emotional experience that can update that schematic memory such that when you go back out into the social world, the emotional expectations that you have may be different. And so if you don't expect to be criticized to the same degree or you expect it's possible that people will you know, treat you in a friendly manner, you're more likely to be outgoing, interact with the people in a new way, in a different way, and get a different result. That is a <clears throat> kind of quick summary of 
what we're talking about and how it, it would apply to psychotherapy. So in terms of the therapy itself, um, mm-hmm. how, how, well, first of all, you're saying this lasts, this is very long lasting. Um, but what then very, in terms of when you see a therapist and, and that this is the kind of therapy that you um, are engaged in, what about how long does this take? Um, mm-hmm. you know, do you go see the therapist once a week? How many sessions do you need? You know, specifically, how, how does it you know, work in practical terms? Good question. And there's no one answer for everyone. Um, what we do know is that uh, memories uh, vary in terms of um, how old they are, how many times they've been practiced and rehearsed, and how deeply ingrained they are. So um, we might contrast that with a single um, traumatic event, such as a car accident, for example. Um, you, you could have recurrent patterns of mistreatment in childhood that um, will be hard to change quickly, okay? But the point is that um, we think the, the idea of memory reconsolidation is that the core problem with memory uh, is uh, that the, the memory itself can be changed and updated, and it doesn't revert back to the old pattern. It is, it is the case, however, that for memories that are, you know, uh, rehearsed many, many times, if you will, earlier in life, you have to have repeated examples or repeated experiences that are corrective. And so those can happen in therapy, and it, but in addition, the person needs to then go out into the world and practice new ways of viewing people and social situations and new ways of acting to basically ingrain a new pattern of interacting. So <clears throat> there isn't one, one um, answer that, that fits everyone. And I think that another really important point is that there are hundreds of different kinds of psychotherapy. <clears throat> but when you look at, uh, there's a difference between helping people cope in the short term, which can be very, very important and helpful, but not necessarily changing the, the fundamental pattern or problem versus um, changing basic patterns of maladaptation, if you will, that enable people to not have problems keep coming back and to have a longer term and almost permanent change. And so... Um, so uh, there are two questions. I, I, there's a question that uh, I guess it involves two things, like the duration mm-hmm. of how long you've had these memories that are not working for you yep. and maybe, and, mm-hmm. and the, how, how, um, I don't know what to say how significant they are, but let's say you've been abused in childhood and you're 
40 mm-hmm. years old. And so you've had these memories for 40 years, 30 years, and the abuse was mm-hmm. really dramatic and terrible as opposed to someone. And yeah. I'll give you my own example, actually. You know, during COVID, during quarantine, I, I was with family, wake up in the morning and watch morning shows. That was kind of the routine. And I find myself now, I don't want to watch those same morning shows because it brings up that whole year of quarantine and all the stuff that goes along with it. So it's a short duration, obviously, but it is something that has affected me. And I, I, you know, when I knew I was going to talk to you today, I thought, well, this is really kind of a good example of a short-term situation, which was not overly abusive by any means, but those are two different scenarios that I'm presenting. So I'm assuming that duration and treatment would be different. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, they would. Uh huh. So yeah. I mean, to take right. So um, that's interesting. You you're avoiding watching those shows. So that's a way of not activating the negative emotion, right? And that's a kind of short term solution, right? Okay. So to apply that to the context that I'm talking about, uh, what we'd have you do is. In therapy, um, talk about what it was like to wake up in the morning and, and see those shows um, and the pain that that's, you know, that that activates, right? And to really feel the pain associated with it. And then uh, we would intervene in a way that would introduce more positive emotional elements, okay? So, for example... Um, you might look at uh, whatever benefits there were at the time, or you might talk about how that's no longer the case. It's a different situation. The point is that you could introduce positive emotions at the same time that you're experiencing the negative emotions that might serve to neutralize it so that you could go back to watching morning shows if you wanted. You wouldn't have to avoid it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do see what you're saying. Uh, And I think probably, uh, you know, this whole, uh, I want to talk about all of this in the context of COVID, because Mm -hmm. that's what we're living in right now, not just the quarantine, it's ongoing, we have, uh, you know, new, I mean, I can't tell you how many people say to me, is this going to go on for all forever? Is this going to, or is this going to end? And uh, I'm not that I'm the expert by any means, and I'm not, but uh, from all different, from colleagues to friends to wherever I go, there's this kind of overwhelming feeling, this, this overwhelming anxiety. Let's talk about, you know, this method in terms of this malaise or anxiety that uh, we as a, um, as a, culture as a country and have. Mm-hmm. Well, um, can you well, solve that? that you, know, I, you know, I'm not sure that I can, uh, but what I can yeah. say is that uh, there are probably uh, differences uh, between people. I think if you've had, you know, early life trauma, and you're kind of skittish about interacting with other people and you think that, you know, relationships can be dangerous, then if you have, you know, the few social contacts that you have and you're cut off from those, that can be more devastating uh, for those people compared to uh, people who, for example, 
you know, generally we're functioning well. And yes, the all the things that have happened with COVID, uh, the social isolation, unemployment, the losses, they will affect everyone. But it's the ability to bounce back. Um, and what, what I'm getting at is there's a difference between kind of background, long-term adaptations, maladaptations that were made earlier in life to kind of set the stage for problems later versus more short-term acute stress, which I think COVID is for everyone, but then to what extent does it interact with what we might call underlying problems that that make it hard to recover uh, even as we emerge from the pandemic? Does that make sense? It, yeah, it does make sense. So what you're saying is, I guess, that uh, those of us who uh, we have an ability to be more resilient if we've had a, quote, help, more healthier emotional experience in the past uh, rather than if mm-hmm. we come into this situation and we are we already start off, you know, not being uh, emotionally um, secure, let's say. So, yeah, the impact mm-hmm. is greater for what we have to deal with. Right. Um, I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, secure is a great word. Yeah, secure is a great word. You know, to have um, secure attachment is really the name of the game. And uh, if you have that coming out of your upbringing, you're in much better shape than if you didn't. What, uh, Doctor, what have you seen in your practice? I mean, in terms of your patients, your clients? Um, I think that it, um, <clears throat> it affects everyone in all sorts of ways. Um, so, um, I mean, the whole issue of whether to be vaccinated or not is huge um, for some people. <laughs> um, yeah. Another issue is when you have you know, medical comorbidities uh, and say you're immunosuppressed, uh, everybody is very cautious about, you know, or has been, about going out in the public, wearing masks, social distancing, et cetera. But then if you, if you have a biological vulnerability such that it's very likely that if you were to get it, you would be, you know, very sick, then your need to avoid the risk is even greater. So there's that. I think just in general... There is more anxiety, depression, suicidal feelings, and loneliness than uh, we had before. You know, that's, that's very, very true. And um, people who uh, happen to have, be able to maintain good social networks seem to be protected to a certain degree from some of that, but, you know, not completely. So, Dr. Lane, what's been the response of your, the professional community, in terms of, well, the book, The Newer Science of Enduring Change? What, what kind of feedback do you get from, from your colleagues? Uh, that's a good question. <clears throat> you know, the book came out just when COVID hit, and uh, we were planning to uh, present uh, the book um, in a variety of conferences that got canceled. Um, what I can say is that... Um, Within uh, academic, professional, you know, organizations involved in, for example, psychotherapy research, uh, there's been a lot of interest and enthusiasm because um, for two reasons. I think, one, 
um, integration with brain science is really the wave of the future. And, you know, we're really drawing on very solid established mechanisms uh, to kind of reformulate how psychotherapy works. The second thing is, is that, you know, most, almost all psychotherapy research really involves short-term outcome assessments. So, and that's very important, you know, treating anxiety or depression. How do people do at three months, six months, one year later? But it's very unusual for research to evaluate people on a longer-term basis than even one year. And yet, when people have lifelong problems, you know, they'd really like to have, you know, long-term solutions. And so that's what... Um, I think the memory reconsolidation perspective is really adding to the field, which is highlighting the importance of looking at whether change is enduring or not. You know, many psychotherapies, um, you know, are effective in the short term, but, you know, may lead to relapse even a year later, you know. And the question is, what can we do about that? How might we change how we do psychotherapy to bring about longer lasting change. And that's what this book is about. So I think that uh, the, 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 generally it's the people who are academic, uh, who are, have knowledge in the area, who have read the book and, you know, think very highly of it. It's not easy going for people without, you know, that more scientific background. But nevertheless, um, I think what, what people find is, is that they get the general idea, but... Um, that some of the specifics and some of the technical terms can make it difficult to read for the lay public, to be perfectly honest. But nevertheless, there's a lot of great information for anyone, you know, to be gleaned from the book. All right. So the, the lay public can get something from the book, but you say, yes, it, it, it's more specifically focused for the professional, but I think you've explained it really well today, at least on the show. I mean, I think one of the big problems is, and, and as a social worker and a counselor and, and someone who has done uh, counseling and has uh, that people seem to go into therapy, go into counseling, it works for a while, and then they come back and forth throughout their whole lives. They never really are able, as you say, there's not an enduring change. It just it goes back and forth. And that's what this book is all about, not, yes. you know, you can, yeah. Right. Um, let me uh, add, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, there yeah. is a, another, the person, the person who really was the first one to write about memory reconsolidation and psychotherapy is um, named Bruce Ecker from New York. And he wrote a book called Unlocking the Emotional Brain. I think it came out in 2012, and that's a book that deals with the same thing um, and may also be another resource that may be even easier to understand than our book. So I, w I would recommend that book as well. Um, our book is um, a little bit more comprehensive when it comes to brain mechanisms, and Dr. Ecker really talks about doing psychotherapy in a particular kind of way. And I think it's a very valid way. Our book is about more general principles and how it might apply to a variety of different kinds of psychotherapy, not just one kind. 
Well, it doesn't have to be either or, does it? We can read Bruce Eckert's book no. and your book at the same time. I mean, which that's is correct. probably very Absolutely. helpful, right? Yeah. That's right. Okay. Well, that's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. All right. So we have a few minutes left. Give us some um, a website and or websites to go to about your work, about your book, and maybe other books as well, or other work that's being mm-hmm. done, say, in conjunction with the kind of work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, with regard to uh, my book, the book itself is published by Oxford University Press, and so you can go to their website. You can also go to Amazon, and you can find the book there as well. Okay, so it's very easy to order. Uh, with regard to more background about me and my work, um, I the website that I have is associated with um, my place of employment. I'm at the University of Arizona, the Department of Psychiatry, and my faculty website, you know, has been updated and includes, you know, a kind of list of a listing of the things that I've done in my career papers I've written, and it also has additional information about the book uh, that you can find there as well. Um, so I would say that those are the major uh, mo- major resources to, to look for. That's great. Now, can you listen to it on Audible? I've gotten into listening to these um, books on Audible, which I find um, really good to do, especially mm-hmm. when you're exercising. Yeah, or, yeah, so yes. is, is that, is your book, a, yeah. It's a great idea, and we haven't, we haven't <laughs> made an audible version yet, and, um, but it's really something to think about, because, you know, I think that uh, this show is a perfect example. We'd really like to get the word out and have people really understand what this is about, because we really want people to get the most out of their psychotherapy. And I think, exactly. um, you know, having an, uh, an audible version of it would, would help get the word out, for sure. Right. Well, great. Great having you on the show today. And uh, it, we've been talking to Dr. Richard Lane, and his new book is Neuroscience of Enduring Change, Implications for Psychotherapy. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you very much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 